0: Hey folks, this is Kevin. Just a few words before we start. Well, I get a lot of emails from you guys, people saying, you know, I'd like to start a podcast too. Uh, Do you have any tips? I have one. Hire Jeff Barr. Jeff's the episode editor of Risk, and no exaggeration, about once a week I find myself thanking God that he came on with our team here. Perhaps one of the hardest working people I've ever met. Jeff has an enormous range of skills, and listen, if you want to try something he's never done before, he will learn it and master it like that. He's always going the extra distance, always thinking, hey, maybe we could try this, or you want me to look into this, or the kind of dedication that makes things extraordinary. So if you'd like to work with Jeff on on a whole podcast series, or maybe just one audio project, maybe one story, write to jeff at risk-show.com. And I can assure you, you'll be working with the very best. Finally, uh, it's been a while since I've said this, but there's two other kind of people that we're always looking to speak to here on the RISC team. We're always interested in speaking to people who uh, are grant writers, people who write to foundations to get money for uh, projects such as ours, or if there's anyone out there who is particularly interested in the system of a business, in the project management, the action plan development, someone who knows how to get a startup from the ground into the air, someone who knows how to take a project like this and monetize it, make it financially sustainable, and orchestrate a team into a well-oiled machine. If you're out there, write to Kevin at risk-show.com. Hello, kids. This is Extra Risk, where we give you just a little bit more of the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Yuki Suzuki behind me now. Now, you may have heard that we've started bringing risk To colleges what's interesting about it is that it's turned out we don't just bring the show we bring an entire educational sort of experience because I end up talking to clubs and classes and arts programs about storytelling itself we include students and professors in the show that we do and then we stay on campus to do a workshop the next day It's kind of a perfect marriage, because college campuses are, you know, where everyone's trying to figure out who they are and where they've been and what to make of their life experiences. So when we show up on campus, it is not just a hell of a show, it's a valuable experience for the community. So what happened with Wesleyan was a student named Carolyn Cohen wrote to tour at risk-show.com And she said, hey, I'd love to do whatever I can do to help Risk come to my school. And through Facebook, she spread the word to other students on campus. Hey, let's try to bring this here. And enough students expressed interest that the school itself was like, all right, let's bring it. And you can do that, too. Just write to tour at risk-show.com. And one thing that was especially nice when we went to Wesleyan was being able to spend time with Kamau Bell who you're about to hear. Uh, Kamau lives in San Francisco, and he performs all over the place, but things just lined up so that we were able to be there at the same time, and it was just a real pleasure getting to know him. Such a smart, sweet guy. You can find him at wkamaubell.com. That's W-K-A-M-A-U-B-E-L-L.com. So here he is now at Wesleyan University, Kamal Bell with a story we call "Baby Got Gas.
1: Give it up for the band, everybody. <laughs> Kisses and grapes. That's what we agreed to, right? So I'm glad to be here. Uh, I, um, I am a comedian. I talk about racism a lot in my act and in my solo show. I end racism in about an hour. Uh, tonight I only have about 10 minutes, so I'm just gonna make it worse. Uh. <laughs> Thank you, these people. Uh, <laughs> these people are like, I don't really think that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> I leave tomorrow, so you guys will have to fight it out. Uh, you know, and I, it's fun, it's weird to talk about racism in the twenty first century because I really, in weird ways, I'm jealous of like my parents' generation and generation before that because their stories of racism were all awesome. You know what I mean? If you told a story of racism in the fifties, there was like fire and gunshots and running from the town and, ah! My stories of racism was that white guy was rude to me. <laughs> It just doesn't have the drama, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I find, I, that's why I talk about it on stage a lot, because I feel like I can actually explain it a little bit. Better. Like I just have weird things happen to me. And I'll tell a couple shorter stories than the longer story. Weird things where like, you know, there's no, you don't know how to react to it. Like, like I was traveling around the country last year with a political comedy group that I've been I mean called Laughter Against the Machine. And uh, we were making a documentary about political comedy and we went to like political places in America where things are happening. And so we went to Madison, Wisconsin, because of the union thing, and we were in Madison, Wisconsin, and we're hanging out at this fest called uh, Fighting Bob Fest. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that. It's a big liberal festival in Madison where they, like, they fire progressive politicians, and a lot of people speak. Uh, it was like uh, a lot of lefty progressive people like Greg Pallas and Tom Hartman and Cornell West were all there, and blah, blah, blah. And so we're watching this thing, and then we're walking around talking to people and filming them for this documentary, and people keep coming up to us and saying, thank you for coming. And I was like, wow, thanks, everybody's polite. And then the more I realize that they're not thanking me, the, me and the other members of the group for coming, they're thanking me for coming. And then finally, at one point, this woman comes up to me and goes, looks at me, "Ma'am, you'll be me." And that's when I realized, oh man, these people think I'm Cornell West. That's weirdly insulting to both of us. Uh, <laughs> I'm nowhere near as old as him, and he's like, and I'm way cooler than you, uh, is what he told me in an email. Uh, that's not the only time, and so that's like, a, that's, I mean, there's clearly some racism there, but it, I didn't have to run from a town screaming. And that's not the only time, I'm not gonna put stuff like that only on the Midwest. You know, a lot of times in this country, we try to put things on the, the ignorant stuff on the Midwest and the South, but I live in San Francisco, uh, thank you. Yes, I hear there's a lot of San Francisco and Wesleyan. Uh, so I live in San Francisco, and uh, like I was at, the, I went to a lunch with a friend of mine, and the the waitress, the server, was giving us really good service and being kind of like weirdly sort of flirty with me, and ex- like she was excited to be around me. And I was like, well, that's I do have quite a popular YouTube channel, uh, <laughs> six thousand views and counting. Uh, <laughs> And she was really like i was like well you know i guess this is my hometown i'm a comedian you know it works and the next day my friend says i went back to that restaurant you won't believe what happened i said what the wait- the waitress said oh my god how do you know the lead singer from the roots <laughs> which is fucked up twice because first of all the roots are a hip-hop band they don't have a lead singer they got a lead rapper that's not the same thing. Second of all, that guy's real short and always wears hats and is real dark. Du- it's like he doesn't look like me. She means the drummer, Questlove, who sits in the back. He's got a big afro like me but I don't look like him. You know how I know that? Because I'm not him. I just feel like, I just feel, it's just a weird thing. I just feel like I think, I just want to say this and I want you to spread it around because I know you guys are the, like the white people here are the good white people. I get that. I get that. Look, some of you are applauding, yes we are. Uh, That's true Negro, slow down, slow down. (laughs) But you know, like, I just feel like, just go tell your other white people, because you know, you're all related to ignorant white people, you know you are, you know. We're all related to ignorant people of our very, you know. Just just let them know that more than one black person can have a nappy afro at one time. We don't hand them out individually and say, okay, Questlove, you get it for the first six months, then Cornell gets it. (laughs) What would those white people have done in the 70s? I see Michael Jackson everywhere. (laughs) So it's, you know, stuff like that. It's just these weird little stories of, of racism, like traveling, like being a comedian, I'm on the road a lot. And when you first start out in comedy, you have to take gigs that you wouldn't, that common sense tells you not to take but you're, you're trying to get gigs, so you take gigs in places like Lovelock, Nevada. Which, why would you name a place Lovelock? You know, like, the love is locked out. Like, literally, I had to take a Greyhound bus to Lovelock, Nevada, which is the middle of nowhere in the middle of nowhere. And I told the driver I was getting off in Lovelock, and he was like, really?
2: <laughs>
1: and so I had to do two nights in Lovelock, Nevada, and uh, and it's just a weird thing because you do these gigs. And I mean, literally, when you go to such a small town out of nowhere and you come from a city like San Francisco, you kind of feel like you're coming from the future. <laughs> and I'm not trying to put them down. It just feels like that. It just feels like, you know, like... And uh, you know, it just you know, and so I get this, so I do the gig, and it's just not going to go great. You just know it's not going to go great because it's you're. It's just there's too many cultural. This is differences to try to make jokes about something. And so the first night goes okay, uh, and then I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. The second night, and you got to wait the whole day for the second night show, and you're just in my hotel room like. Mm. <laughs> and then the next, second night, they decided that uh, that uh, the first night had gone too well, so they decided to have a wedding reception in the middle of the comedy show. <laughs> And like these comedians need a challenge, and so it just went. It was horrible. I mean, you can't. You just can't do that. There's like children and grandma and a black guy yelling about racism, and uh, and so I so I finished the show and I go back to the hotel room and I do what I do after bad shows. I get under the covers and turn on the TV and just start thinking about other career options. And at like 4 a.m. in the morning, and I'm still up. I uh, hear outside my window, it's true. The KKK are on their way. And here's, I'm from San Francisco. I've never, ever heard that before and never thought that I would hear that. I live in San Francisco. Like, the, even if the KKK wanted to come for me, they would get so distracted by all the other shit that they wouldn't make it to me. <laughs> There's gay people and Mexicans and even Catholics. We don't like them either. So, and gay Mexican Catholics. And so literally, I'm like I, I, I'm like, I hear the KKK is coming and I'm like, I get out of bed and I'm like, and, and, and I look out the window and I'm like, I'm in my underwear and I'm like, should I put on my clothes for the KKK? <laughs> and I look out my window and I realize that the guy who's yelling that is yelling at the only other black guy who there who works at the casino. And I immediately, weirdly had this thought. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> They're coming for him. Woo, <laughs> <laughs> goodness all right i mean like like as if they would show up and be like is it you No, it's the other negro let's get on <laughs> but apparently i found out the next day that that's just what that guy does he gets drunk and he threatens for the kkk to come that's that's what he does on friday <laughs> he's like oh he's always threatening." yeah he was kicked out of the Klan years ago <sighs> so it's just weird so So that's like my base, like I just have all these weird racial experiences, but then recently uh, it's like I'm having a whole new perspective on race because uh, me and my wife had a baby. Actually, she had the baby. I got a baby. (laughs) That's way, way better. (laughs) If you can choose between having a baby and getting a baby, get a baby. (laughs) Clearly, I'm only talking to the lesbian couples. Uh... (laughs) Yeah, that's way smarter than a lot of people gave it credit for. Thank you over there. So and my wife is is white and I'm black and uh, so we and so that means the baby is a mixed race baby and so it's like a, just a whole new level of like thing that I had not thought about or prepared for so like the, my wife the, the baby's eight months old now and uh, and she's adorable because that's how it works when you have a mixed race baby that's just an, <laughs> that's just evolution helping out you know. <laughs> Look, you're black and white. That's going to be confusing. People are going to yell at you. You're not going to fit in any world. You're adorable. (laughs) It's evolution. It's just... (laughs) So, I mean, she's really, really adorable. Actually, hold on. Uh, So, and so... Like, and so we have the baby and the baby like, uh, like, so, like our wife has the baby and I'm in the, the living room with her and she has the baby and the baby comes out white with my nose <laughs> that was I was like hey, oh okay alright like literally I was like okay uh, alright now and literally, it was just a weird thing. Like, I was, it wasn't weird for me. I wasn't upset that my baby was white. I was like, cool, when she grows up, she can tell me what white people think about me when I leave the room, you know what I mean? Like, it's not good, dad, it's not good. So I'm not, I'm not caught up in that at all, uh, but it was just funny to see my wife's like family. Like, I remember her brother walked in and met our daughter and he was just like, and a little bit, he had this look of like, what happened? Is that the right baby? But then I felt behind that he was a little bit like, yes. (laughs) Not in an evil way, just in a I I don't know, just, so, but the thing is is that they don't, doctors don't tell you this, no baby stays the same complexion as when they're born. Even babies born of one race, when they come out, they look like one thing and they start to get their complexion changes. So what's happening now is literally, as each day goes by, my daughter's getting a little bit darker, but I don't know where she's gonna end up. and so I'm just sort of charting her color progress. Sometimes I take out a Michael Jackson CD, and I'm like, it's dangerous, it's dangerous today. But, but right now she's at this weird, my daughter's at this real part, it's true, at this weird part of her color complexion where she's like getting darker, but if I hold her, she looks white. But if my wife holds her, she looks black. <laughs> Yeah, she's kind of like a broken chameleon, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> You're doing it the wrong way, baby. You're doing it the wrong way. But what happens is when I walk around the world, the world sees a black man with a white baby, and that's not the combination the world is used to seeing. I mean, the, the white guy with the black baby, they go, oh, that's so nice. Where'd you get him? You know what I mean? But like... <laughs> that, you do so much charity, but... But a black guy with a white baby, people get really like, they start to look around and stare. And I remember like we went to the airport one time and this this older like uh, Japanese woman was looking at my wife and me and the baby and like trying to figure out how this all worked out. <laughs> it was just a weird like, and I was like, we did this. She's like, oh. <laughs> like she, and so, It's just this weird thing, but when I walk around, I realize that the world sees a black man with a white baby, which means people stare and look and get confused, and it just means that, like, when I walk around, there's a little bit, I can't just be a dad with this kid, I have to be a dad with this kid who's also sort of, like, protective of the fact that, like, I'm worried that, like, what's going to happen in the future? Like, how how long does this go? You know, how do I tell, how do I explain this to her when she gets older, that people think that we're not together? You know, I don't know how it works. But, and the story I'm telling, the story I'm going to tell is the biggest, the greatest, the most sort of the biggest example of that. So uh, baby was about six months old and me and my wife are gonna go take, uh, visit her parents, my wife's parents. Uh, and we, they live like two hours south of where we live. And when you're a new parent, like you literally, it takes forever to do anything. You're like always an hour and a half late to everything because you just forget all the stuff you have to do to take your baby somewhere. So you like, you like, so you leave the house, you get in the car, you start driving. Like, oh, we forgot the stroller. So you go back to the house, you get the stroller, and you start driving. And you go, oh, we forgot the blanket that she likes. So we go back, and then you go. Oh, oh, we forgot the baby, and you go back. <laughs> So we get, so everything's just like the stutter start thing. So we're in the car and my wife goes, you know what? Now we, it's taking us so long to leave. I need to feed the baby. You know what? I'm just going to pull over here and feed the baby for a little while. And uh, after we fed the baby, we're like, she's like, wait, we can't just put her back in the car seat because she's been in the car too long already. And we haven't left yet. You know what? We need to put gas in the car. Why don't you take the baby, walk the baby. Like it's two blocks down to the gas station and I'll meet you there. And uh, we'll fill it so she can be out a little bit in the world and get some fresh air. And I'll meet you at the gas station. I'm like, all right, cool." So I walk my baby over to the gas station, and I'm standing at the gas station just waiting for my wife to pull in, and uh, this car pulls in with with a white woman in it, Uh, a different white woman, not my wife, and uh, I could tell. uh, Yes, that's that's, that's not my wife, that's not my wife. Uh, (laughs) Sometimes that gets so embarrassing. Uh, So... So I go to the gas, station and I'm waiting, and this car pulls in, and this white woman gets out of her car and starts filling up her car. And like I said, I showed you, my baby's cute. Like, people just start to get caught up, and they're looking. she got these big eyes, and she's, just got, she's got this cute nose. And people just get caught up and looking at her. And so I'm just used to that part of it, too. Like, people look at her and get all caught up. And so the woman looks at my daughter, and she's like, ah. Oh. And, and uh, she looks at me, and I smile, because, like, all parents, you take credit for your baby's looks. Like, you picked it out or something. Like, that's the one we wanted. And... Uh, and so I smile, and the woman does this. She goes like <sniffs> <laughs> Which I have to be honest, as a black person, that's not the first time I've seen a white person get nervous around me for no good reason. I, you know, like there's, there's just that thing, uh, uh, black woman right here, have you ever that happen where you see a white person get tense and you're just like, ah, uh, this is not, yeah, okay, thank you for that. <laughs> I, needed, I needed some independent black verification, and she gave well, a little bit, okay. So like like I had, so like the woman goes, and I'm just like, oh, I don't know what she's tense about. I don't know what the problem is. You know what? I'm not going to have time to deal with this. I'm just going to go step to a different part of the gas station so she can have whatever moment she's having. I don't know what's happening here. And so I step to a different part of the gas station, I wait, and then my wife pulls in, and she gets out of the car, and she goes, cute baby. And the woman goes, and I hear her again giggle. Shh. And I realize she doesn't realize that that's my wife and we know each other. And she's nervous that like, I guess she thinks, oh no, this is that black guy, white baby scam I just got an email about. Like she's, and she's, and, I, and I, so I look at my wife and try to say, try to communicate to her without saying anything, pretend like you know me, you know what I mean? Like, you need to act like you know me so she can calm down. And I'm trying to just sort of say that to her, but the problem is is that that's, a, that's really a minority thing where you can look at somebody and communicate like, this white person's fucked up over here. <laughs> it's not, my wife's white and I'm trying to teach her how to do that, but she's not really picking it up very easily And that's, it's, a, like with a black person, like I can look at this black woman right here and be like There's somebody fucked up over here and she'll know exactly who I'm talking about Like I can look at another minority person and tell them somebody fucked up here They'd know sort of this area, they would know exactly So I look at my wife and I'm like, I'm like, you need to, uh, and she's like, ah Like, ah and so I'm, I'm sitting here with my wife trying to like negotiate this, like and just like, okay, let's fill up the car and go. And all of a sudden I hear the woman say to me, do you work here? And it was weird because I was like, what? But I was also kind of excited. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever she, moment she's having, I don't work here. Like it, what does she think? It's bring your white baby to work day, you know? Like- <laughs> I don't work here so I'll just say no I don't work here and this can be done this conversation can cease to exist which will be great and I go no she goes okay I just don't think you should bring a baby to a gas station thank you (laughs) that person Uh, and it was like and that's my response I was like you know when you hear a sentence that you've never heard before (laughs) and even though it's all words you know you've never heard them in that order so it takes you a second to figure out what the fuck it means. Like I'm like pulling it apart, like diagramming, like they taught me in private school. Okay, wait a minute, the subject, the verb. Okay, adv- like I'm trying to figure out like, okay, you don't take a baby to a gas station. What does that mean? Why, what does that mean? And the thing is she keeps talking. I don't think you should take a baby to a gas station. i not gonna take a baby to a gas station. I don't think it's a good idea. I mean, you know, but did take a baby. And, then my, and here's the thing, because I'm a new parent, suddenly I'm like, oh shit, did I fuck up? are you not supposed to take a baby to a gas station? Is that like one of the things? Like, I didn't read those books people gave me. I should have read those fucking books. I didn't want homework and parenthood, you know? And so I'm like, is that like a thing? Like, you don't feed a baby until they're six months old. You don't give a baby honey. You don't take a baby to a gas station. Like, is that just... Like, I'm like, are there businesses set up next to gas stations where you drop off a baby while you fill up your car? Like I'm, And here's the thing. She's giving me a homework assignment for a class I didn't sign up for. And she's expecting me to take the test right now. And I'm like, oh, do I take the baby to a gas station? I'm just like, and I'm doing all this work. And here's the thing, she keeps talking. And so suddenly I'm like, I'm like trying to go back throughout my entire life. And my whole life flashes before me. And I'm trying to remember every time I've been to a gas station (laughs) and trying to see a picture if I've seen a baby there. (laughs) And then finally it hits me, wait a minute. You can take a baby to a gas station. You can't take a baby and stick him under a car at a gas station. But you can take a baby to a gas station. Like, what are you doing? Like, what do you think is going on here? And so I look at her and I go, I'm just like, okay, look lady. This is my child. That's my wife. We are in control of this area. And a little bit, what I kind of felt like I was saying is, like, I've already got a white woman who's in control of me. I don't need your help. And then she got in her car, like, and was, like, drove off angry. Like, I had somehow done something. And here's the thing. I was mad about that for, like, six months. I was just so angry about, like, I just said something. I should have done something. I should have said... Like, that's how racism works in the 21st century. You don't get any physical scars a lot of times because you just walk around fucking mad at people. Who you've never will see again in life. And I'm like, I wish I should I wish I could find her. I just wanna just want fucking just wanna I just I just I, I just like I was like homicide, like I didn't wanna kill her. I just wanted to like rip her face off. And like dice it up into a casserole and then serve it to her family. And when they go, wow, this is delicious, mom would have loved it. I was like, ah ha 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 ha. And that's my story. Thank you everybody. Good night.
2: moments I can see no way. I can see no way. And all of the ghouls come out to play Every demon wants his palm of flesh But i like to keep some things to myself i like to keep my shoes strong It's always darkest before the dawn, and I've been
0: That's all for this go-around, folks. Florence and the machine behind me now. And don't forget to check out our all-star episodes: Lisa Lampinelli, Michael Ian Black, Kevin Nealon, Adam McKay, Sarah Silverman, Nick Swordson, Mark Marin, Carrie Kenny Silver, Samantha B. Paul F. Tompkins. We're talking amazing episodes there, folks. You gotta go check them out at Risk show.com shop and don't forget to tweet to Rolling Stone at Rolling Stone to Entertainment Weekly at EW and to the New York Times at NYT underscore arts tell them to review risk that's the hashtag review risk if you don't have a Twitter account email the arts at NYTimes.com EW underscore letters at EW.com and RS editors at Rolling And did you know that the same people who bring you risk have created a school called The Story Studio? You can find us at TheStoryStudio.org. Nine week workshops or weekend workshops, corporate workshops, or one on one storytelling training even online over skype practicing storytelling is useful for so many people in so many different ways folks today's the day take a risk And on today's show, we are going to feature some...